My name is Vaughn Norris, and this is my story. I grew up in North Carolina, Southern Baptist. I was always the first in my group to memorize the books of the Bible or to memorize whatever scripture we were supposed to memorize. I was, I was all in at the time. The years went by, I went away to college. I got further and further away and started feeling like I didn't need church anymore. I felt that I was in control, that people were in control of their destiny, and that church was a nice thing. It was really good for people who needed it, like my mom and dad. And God, it was nice that we had God. I was never opposed to God. I always thought God was great out there, but I didn't need him telling me what to do. I ended up moving to California. I got married to a man that, even though he was Mormon, assured me that Mormons were Christians. So I was Baptist, he was a Christian, and that seemed fine to me at the time. About a year later, some of his Mormon friends invited us to a play at the local ward. It went over the Mormon history, and as I was watching it, I was puzzled because there were parts of the story I'd never heard before, and it seemed, seemed strange to me. I wasn't comfortable with the theology that I was hearing. About that time, Brad Franklin knocked on our front door and invited us to visit Lakeside. And I started asking Brad questions about the theology. What, what does the church teach? And every answer he gave me was exactly what I was comfortable with, exactly what I was used to, exactly what I was looking for. Walking into Lakeside for the first time, we, were over, we felt we were overdressed. It was small, cozy, rows of chairs. On the stage, there was uh, the pastor who also sang and um, did everything except the nursery, I think. It was definitely a place for me to, for a new beginning for me. It was my church home, it wasn't my parents' church anymore. It was a church that I had selected. So my 23 years at Lakeside have been life-changing. My faith has not been steady the whole time. I've hit some bumps in the road where I had a lot of questions, had to spend a lot of time searching scripture, asking questions, uh, went through a divorce. Even though it was hard sometimes to go when I was a single mom, I, I made it. I pushed myself to go because I needed, I needed it. I needed to feel God's presence. When I was asked to tell my story, I thought, well, I don't have much of a story, but I, we, I think we all do. You have to just reflect and picture how your life has changed, how you used to be, how it is now. And there's a story in there somewhere. Eight years ago, I remarried um, just the cutest guy in the whole world. My f faith was certainly strengthened through the trials, the things that it took to get us to this point in our life. I have become less independent, more dependent on God, more willing to admit I don't have all the answers. Actually thinking about what it would be like had I not come to Lakeside in 1989, 
how my life would be totally different. The people, just everything would be so different because it's uh, it's been everything. Good evening, everybody. How are you? Good. You guys in the back, you okay? You're just more quiet back there. Okay, that's all right. I'm glad you're there. Thanks for being there. Thanks for being here. You know, uh, we are in the month now in September where we're going to celebrate or we're going to do this the whole month. We're just going to celebrate what God's been doing among us for the last 25 years. And all of you have come in at some point during that journey. And you've got some story that God is doing in you. And, and whether you're a passionate follower of Christ or whether you're investigating who Jesus is and what he's like, you're engaged in some kind of story where Christ is engaging with you. And I'm, we're just going to celebrate that for the next five weeks together, okay? Really, that's what we're doing all the time, but that's what we're going to do for the next five weeks. And I've been spending some time lately just going back over, you know, my memories and some of the history of our church. And I got out this week, I got out some journals from our, that I was writing personally back in 1986 and 87 when we started Lakeside in 1988 and just reading what has God done, what has God done, what has God done. And I realize when you come to the place where you're, you're looking at your life and you're saying, how do I orient my life around the gospel of Christ? Sometimes you need some tools. Sometimes you need some help to be able to get that done. And so I look back through where, what we've talked about over the last 25 years, and I realize sometimes we use the tool of questions to figure out what God wants to do in our life and how he wants us to orient our life around the gospel. And so some of the titles we've used over the, over the years, they just have these questions. Like in 1999, right at the end of the year, we did a, a sermon series called Why Not? And why was not the, not the word why, but the, the letter why. Why not? And the whole idea was how do we kind of deal with the anxiety of Y2K. Do you remember Y2K? Not really, because it was a big deal back then. I was all freaked out, like, what's going to happen? So we did a series, why not? Let's talk about it, and what does God want to do in the midst of this thing for us? Uh, we did a series called, Why Does God Whisper? And we're just trying to make sense of the message of God, and why does God speak to us in the way he does? Why doesn't he do flashes of lightning and, and loud you know, uh, peals of thunder to get our attention? Why does he whisper so often? And we've tried to walk that through. We, we did a series called, Whose Life Is It Anyway? And the whole concept was, doesn't God own everything? If God owns everything, doesn't he own us? And especially if we say, Jesus, I surrender to you, I give my life to you, I want you to be my leader and my savior, then whose life is it anyway? It's his life, right? And so we've just used questions to help us orient our lives around the gospel of Christ. And so I just thought when we come to this 25th celebration, what if we just took some time and we asked some questions that would help us move forward toward Christ together? And so for the next five weekends, we're just going to ask five questions just to do this, to orient our life around the gospel of Christ. And so today we're going to begin with the first question, which is, What's your story? Vaughn said in her, in her faith story, it's like, well, when they asked me to do a story, I didn't really think I had a story. No, no, everybody has a story. You have a story, I have a story, the person next to you have a story. Yours might be better than theirs, so you might think theirs is better than yours, but it doesn't really matter. It's your story. And what I want to think through together is, how do, you, how do you tell your story so that other people understand and grip the fact that God has given you grace through Jesus Christ and through his gospel? What's your story? As I was looking back through journals, I remembered, I mean, obviously I remember how the church started, but um, I was reminded of some of the things that we did in the very beginning. 
Vaughn mentioned the fact that I, can't, I used to go door to door at every house in Folsom. I'd knock on the door and say, hi, I'm Brad Franklin, and, you know, would you like to come to church and, you know, stuff like that. Well, when we started Lakeside, we started a little bit differently than that. We started Lakeside with a telemarketing campaign. If you've been to Lakeside 101, you remember this part of the story. We actually called people at the most inconvenient times of the day and asked them if, we could, if they would like to hear about our church. Right, So we rented an a office space over in Orangevale. Actually, someone donated it to us over there. We put in 10 telephone lines. We, we hooked up 10 dumb phones. You know what dumb phones are? They actually, some of the ones we used, they actually had that rotary thing on there. I mean, I, you know, I, dumb. They were dumb phones. We had 10 of them, and we got as many volunteers as we could, family members, friends that lived in the area, whoever we could, to come in and help, make us, help, help us make phone calls. We made, in the course of about six weeks, in the summer of 1987, we made about 5,000 telephone calls to all the people that lived in Folsom whose number was listed and about half the residences of Orangevale. At the end of those six weeks, we started sending mail to them. We said, you, you said we could, so here's some mail. So we, had, we made 5,000 phone calls. We got 500 families to say, yes, you can send us some mail. And on the very first weekend of Lakeside Church, uh, we had 55 people that showed up at the Folsom Eagles Hall to start church with us. And I'm like, yes, cool. It's like, this is amazing, Right. And of course, you know, if you've been to 101, it didn't take very long to go from 55 people to 11. So, you know, don't get all wound up about that. We're making phone calls and we're, we're calling people up during dinner. And I know it's like the craziest thing in the world to do. Really? You're going you're to call during dinner and interrupt dinner and then say, would you like to come to church? Because they are predisposed to say no to you, Right. We called up. We made these 5,000 phone calls. There were three of us in the office one night making phone calls, myself and another couple of friends of mine, Don and Shirley. I'm in the middle of a conversation. I'm getting rejected again on this particular phone call, and I got rejected like nine out of ten calls. Every, I didn't like calling before this. Now imagine. So anyway, I'm in the midst of another rejection call, and I get done with that, and I'm listening to Shirley, who's on the other end of the table making her own phone calls, and I notice something different in the tone of her voice as she's making this telephone call. I'm like, that's kind of weird. What's up? And I, and I was going to make another phone call, but I decided, no, I'm just going to pray for her, and I put the phone back down. Pretty soon her husband, Don, put his phone down, and now we're listening to this sort of eavesdropping on this conversation that Shirley's having with someone else that she just telemarketed. I'm not sure exactly what's going on, but you could, see, you could see her face flush as she's having this conversation, and, and her voice became more and more stressed and more and more tense as she's having this conversation, and it didn't take very long before Don and I realized that Shirley had called a woman who was right in the middle of committing suicide. And Don and I are praying like crazy, you know, asking God what, you know, what to do, and one of us called emergency services, and and Shirley continues to talk to this woman, and she talked to her until the emergency service people got to her house and, and rescued her. It was the first moment where I realized for sure that God called us to this community for a reason to reach people who were hopeless and far from God. Now, I had, her, I had that woman's name and address right there on our list. So the next day I went over to see her and to see how she was doing and just to talk to her a little bit and say, hey, I, you know, I'm from the group that called you last night and we're telling people about Jesus. Can we just talk about him a little bit and just, you know, see if we can help? And that woman became the first person through Lakeside Church to put her faith in Christ. It's a good day, right? It's a good day. 
Now, I don't know the rest of her story. She has a story. I don't know the rest of it. Her children and grandchildren began coming to Lakeside Church in that first year. I don't remember if this woman, Pat, ever showed up at the church. But I know that she heard the message of Jesus, and at some point she responded, and the Lord began a story with her. Remarkable story. At some point in your life, God began a story with you. And it's a remarkable story. And maybe, maybe no one did a reverse suicide hotline on you like we did with that woman. But somehow your story is unique. Somehow your story is significant to God. And he wants to use your story to touch the lives of other people. So my question is, what's your story? Do you know it? Do you know how to tell it? Could you communicate it to someone else? You could say, here's my story of faith in Christ. I want you to know about it. Let me just give you some other examples of stories from the Bible. I'm going to give you these in first-person kind of accounts, like, like this is my story or this is this person's story, and let's see if we can learn from them what it's like to understand our own story of faith and how to be able to tell that to somebody else. First story goes like this. I was blind. I lived my whole life as an adult begging for food. One day, I heard men around me, a group of men around me, and they were talking, and they were talking about me. In fact, I heard them talking about the question, who, who sinned that, this, that made this man become blind? Was it his own sin that made him become blind, or was, his, was it his parents' sin that caused him to be blind? And I'm thinking, while they're having this conversation about me, with me sitting right there, I'm thinking, it's none of your business whose sin it was. Maybe it wasn't anybody's sin anyway. And the next thing I heard was somebody spitting. Next thing I felt was someone put something slimy and wet on my eyes. I'm like, I got to wash this out. But then all of a sudden, the person who seemed to be the leader of the group said, hey, go and wash your eyes in the pool called Salome. It's like, yeah, I am. And I went to the pool of Salome and I washed. And as soon as I washed my eyes, I could see. I'd never been able to see, and all of a sudden I could see, and so I ran back to where I came from, and I was looking for the man who healed my eyes, but I couldn't find him. That my friends saw me, they didn't even recognize me. I mean, they'd known me as blind all my life, so now I can see, so they're like, well, it looks like that guy, but it's not that guy, because this guy can see. Can't be our friend. I said, it's me, it's me. Well, the religious leaders got a hold of the story, because the day that I was healed was a Sabbath day. And the religious leaders kind of look at healing people. They kind of look at that as as work. And so you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. And so you're certainly not supposed to heal anybody on the Sabbath day. So they're all angry at the man who healed me. They couldn't find him. So they brought me in before the whole council. They, They interviewed me in front of them. They weren't satisfied with my answer. So they sent me out. They brought my parents in. They said, is this your son? Yes. Was he born blind? Yes. How can he see? They said, oh, we don't know. Ask him. He's, he's old enough. So they brought me back in. They said, how, how is it that you can see? I said, well, Jesus, he, he, he spit, if you want to know the truth, and he made some mud with that, and he put it on my eyes. He sent me, and I washed, and now I can see. Well, they were frustrated because this, this Jesus, this rabbi who did this miracle for me, he did it on the Sabbath. They didn't like it, so they were frustrated. So they, they finally said, what do you say about him? What do you have to say about this Jesus? And I said to them, I don't know if he's good or bad. I only know that I was blind and now I can see. 
That's my story. What's your story? You have one. What's your story? See, when this man's story was put into the Bible, there were some things that the authors of Scripture wanted us to understand about that and say, now look, when you're, when you're thinking about your story and you want to write down your story and be able to tell your story or communicate it to others, make sure you ask this question. What do you say about Jesus? You go, I'm not an expert. I don't know all that much about Jesus. Look, you already know, every single one of you in the room already knows more about Jesus right now than that blind man did the day he was healed. Because you and I live 2,000 years after Christ came. And no one on the history of the planet has influenced this world more than Jesus Christ. You already know more about Jesus than this blind man. And he said, I don't know anything about him. All I know is once I was blind and now I can see. And Jesus is the one who made that happen. Now you were probably not born blind. But it might be true in your life from a spiritual perspective. Once you were blind, but now you can see. Because of a person named Jesus. What's your story? Let me tell you another story. This man says, I was paralyzed, couldn't move anything but my head. My friends used to carry me around on a mat. They would carry me to the front of the temple where I could beg, and then they'd move me back home at night. One day, we heard that Jesus was coming through. Now, I'd heard about Jesus, and I, th- I heard he had some amazing power. And so he came through, and so my buddy said, we're going to carry you to Jesus, and maybe Jesus can heal you. But there was such a crowd in the house where Jesus was, we couldn't get through. So my buddies took me up on the roof, and they dug through the tiles on the roof, and they dropped me down right in front of Jesus. Jesus laughed when he saw me. He saw me on the ground in front of him. He saw all my friends looking through the hole in the roof to see how it was going to go. I think Jesus laughed. He took one look at me and he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. That's that's not really what I was after. What I was really after was to be able to stand up and walk. That's what I really wanted. I was okay getting forgiveness. That's a good thing. But what I really wanted was to stand up and walk. We never really got to that right off the bat because there was sort of a kerfuffle that happened right about that time. Um, you know kerfuffle? It, it, it's in the dictionary. Look it up. It's a, it's a mess. There's just this little mess that goes on because the religious leaders who were in the room who were watching Jesus, this rabbi, they said, Jesus, who do you think you are? Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. What you just did was blasphemy. And so they got all hot and bothered about the fact that Jesus forgave my sins. I just wanted to stand up and walk. Now they're having an argument. And Jesus said, you know, I I just thought it was simpler to say you're forgiven as opposed to my son. Pick up your mat and stand up and go home. That just takes longer. But you know what? Just so you religious leaders get the point. Um, my son, pick up your mat, stand up, and go home. And immediately I felt my legs get strong. 
And I stood up and I grabbed my mat and I pushed my way through the crowd and I went out and I could stand up and I could walk and I was forgiven. I got healing and forgiveness all at once. That's my story. What's your story? Where does forgiveness come into your story? Where does healing come into your story? Because it has to come for every one of us. In your story, where do you talk about forgiveness? We've talked a a lot about a book uh, called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And in that book, the author describes a story as a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. That's a story. What's your story? You are a character. Right? Okay, the per- let's do it this way. The person next to you is a character. Or the person next to them is a character. So you are a character who wants something. What is the greatest desire in this world? It's not a desire that everyone expresses. It's not a desire that everyone writes down and goes, this is my goal. But what every single person wants in this world is have a right connection with God. To have a whole unbroken fellowship with God where everything is right and there's no injustice and there's no intolerance and there's no pain and there's no brokenness and there's no sin. That's what we want. We describe it in all kinds of ways, but that's what we want. A a character, a story is a character, us, who wants something, a relationship with God, and overcomes conflict, the biggest conflict in the soul of every human being is this problem called sin. It's the thing that makes me stumble. It's the thing that keeps tripping me up. It's the thing that entangles me. It's the thing that keeps me separated from God. A story is a character like me who wants something, a relationship with God, and overcomes conflict through Christ, in this case, to get it. Jesus is the one who offers forgiveness. Jesus is the one who offers healing. Jesus is the one who offers an unbroken relationship with God. Where in your story do you talk about forgiveness? Where in your story do you talk about healing? Let me read one of my favorite stories. My name is Jairus. My little girl, she's only 12. She was dying. I heard that Jesus was in town, so I ran to him. It was urgent. Jesus, you got to come with me, I said to him. He said, okay, let's go. And Jesus and I and the whole crowd of people that were with him, we, be, we turned around and we began to make our way toward my house. And finally I thought, there's hope. There's hope for my daughter. Jesus can make her well. But suddenly Jesus stopped cold. And in my heart I'm screaming inside, Jesus, no, 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 no. Don't stop now. If you stop now, my daughter might die. She won't make it. Don't stop. But Jesus stopped dead in his tracks, and the next thing I heard was a woman's voice. 
Her, st- her story goes like this. I'd been hemorrhaging for 12 years. I'd spent all my money, but I was still bleeding. I was broke and tired and confused and exhausted. I'd heard about Jesus and how he heals people. I never thought I'd get to see him. But then I heard that he was coming through our town. And so I gathered up all the strength I could find, and I made my way to where Jesus was, and I pushed through the crowd to get to where Jesus was. And I didn't mean to interrupt. I could see he was on a mission. I knew he had to get someplace quickly. I could see the trauma in this man's eyes who was walking next to Jesus. I didn't mean to stop him. I just wanted to touch the bottom of his robe. I thought if I just touch his clothing, I'll be healed. He won't need to know. No one will need to know. No one will ever stop. I'll just touch the bottom of his clothes. And sure enough, as soon as I touched the bottom of his robe, I felt it. Immediately, I was healed. I was well. The bleeding stopped, and I was fine. And I thought, I'm just going to turn around and go back home, and we'll celebrate, and it's fabulous. Except that as soon as I touched Jesus' robe, he also knew that I'd been healed. And he stopped. And he turned around in the midst of that crowd, and he said, who touched me? And I'm like, really? Are you kidding? Everybody's touching you, Jesus. Everybody wants a piece of you, Jesus. Who touched you? Jesus persisted. He said, who touched me? By this time, I knew that not only did I know I was healed, but he knew I was healed. And so I had to speak up. I said, Jesus, I touched you. I told him my story, and he listened to it so patiently. At the end of my story, he said, woman, because of your faith, you have been healed. Your faith has saved you. She said, that's my story. What's your story? And where does faith come into your story? Because in a relationship with God and in a story that God writes or that Christ writes in us, that story always connects to him through faith. Where do you tell faith in your story? Faith about Jesus in your story. Oh, we left Jairus. We left him standing there with Jesus stopped healing this woman and having a conversation with this woman while Jairus' daughter's dying. So let's pick his story up. He says, I couldn't believe Jesus would delay like this. He knew my daughter was dying. I can't believe he stopped to help this woman. She could have waited. And then I looked up toward the direction of my house and I saw my buddy coming out of my house. And the story was written on his face. I knew it. My little girl died. Can you imagine what that's like? If Jesus wouldn't have stopped, we would have been there in time. If he wouldn't have delayed, we would have been there in time. I gave up hope. I hung my head. I began to mope back to my house. But Jesus said to me, Jairus, 
Don't be afraid. Only believe. And we walked back to my house, and Jesus was holding me up as we went. And when we got to the house, the mourners were already surrounding my house, and they were sending up these songs of grief and, 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 uh, and funeral music. And Jesus walked into that crowd, and he said to them, hey, um, Don't worry, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. They laughed at him. They laughed at Jesus. They said, We know dead. He said, No, she's just sleeping. And he wouldn't let any of them come in. He just took me and my wife and three of his friends. And we went into the room where my daughter was lying, dead on that bed. And Jesus took her by the hand and said, Talitha, get up. And my daughter's eyes popped open. And she took a breath. And then she got up out of the bed. And she walked around the room. And it's like, my daughter's alive. She's alive. Can you imagine this? And I start shouting to everyone who's outside, all those mourners. They can't figure out why they came in the first place. My daughter's alive. And Jesus said, give her something to eat. And then don't tell anybody. Jesus, you're kidding, right? You're kidding. Of course I'm going to tell somebody. What are you talking about? I have to tell somebody. My daughter was dead and now she's alive. I'm telling. That's my story. What's your story? Everybody has a story. You might listen to those stories and go, none of those are like mine. I wasn't sick, I wasn't blind, I wasn't paralyzed, none of those are like mine. Maybe you were just disinterested. There's a story of a man like that, his name was Levi, his story's found in Matthew chapter 9, maybe you need to see his story. Maybe you're hostile to God, maybe you're here because someone promised you pizza after church. You thought, I'll tolerate church to get some pizza. Maybe you're hostile to God. There's a story about a man named Saul in Acts chapter 9 who was just like that, worse than you. And God entered into his story through faith in Jesus also. What's your story? When you came in today, we gave you a card, right? Did you get one of these five questions, my story? I want you to write some things on this. See, if you're going to orient your life around the gospel, the first step is to learn to tell your story. You cannot orient your life around the gospel unless you know what it is that Jesus has done for you and where it is that Jesus is taking you. So pull this out for a minute. I'm going to have uh, Josh just play a little bit, and I want you to write some things. I want to give you some things to write. You won't be able to finish, and some of you are like, that's a small card. I'll never get my story on that. Summarize. (laughs) Three questions, maybe four. First question, what was my life like before I trusted Jesus? For me, I was eight years old when I trusted Jesus. I don't have much of a life before that, but here's my story. My parents took me to church. They made sure that I, un- I heard the stories of the Bible. I didn't get it all yet, but that was my life before Christ. What was your life like before you trusted Jesus? Second question, when did you decide to put your faith in Christ? When did you decide to trust him? Uh, You know, you don't have to have a date. It doesn't have to be March 17th, you know, 2007. You don't have to have a date. But when I was around eight or when I was about 18 or when I was about 48 or when I was in college or whatever your 
piece of the story is when did you decide to trust Jesus? And with that, ask the question or answer the question, why? There's something about Jesus that you said, I need him. Why? I want him. Why? Last question. What's changed since then? What has Jesus done in your life since that time that has changed the trajectory of your life? What's your story? Now, some of you will say, yeah, but that's only a story for someone who's following Jesus. That's only a story for Christians. And some of you may be here just investigating Christ. You're just checking him out. Or maybe some of you are here sitting this way going, not me. That's not for me. My wife may be. My boyfriend may be. No, that's not for me. Well, truly, you have a story as well. In relation to Jesus, you have a story, even if you haven't trusted him yet. Maybe it goes like this. My life is still before I trusted Jesus, so this is what my life is like today. What's my life like today? Second question. What's keeping me from putting my faith in Jesus? What is that one thing or two things that are in there that are making me say, no, 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 that's not for me? And the third question would be, what do I think would happen if I put my faith in Jesus? How would my life change? That's your story. And if you're already following Jesus, you have a story. If you're considering who Jesus is, he's inviting you to enter into that story. And then I want you to do one more thing. You won't finish writing that right now, but I want you to do one more thing. Before you go out today, ask somebody else their story. Easiest way for you to tell your story is if somebody else asks you to hear it. Ask somebody else on the way out, what's your story? Jesus, thank you for you. Thank you for the fact that you love us and you invite us to trust you. Lord, today we, we trust you. And I pray for my friends that they would be able to write their story, to be able to tell it to somebody else, to be able to orient their life around the gospel of Jesus. Lord, thank you for these things. Amen.